Welcome to Podcast with Cooper Cherry. We have rebranded from 21st uh, 21st Century Schizoid Podcast, and uh, I just had a, a, I guess, sort of genius struck me, and I came up with some new branding for the podcast, and and it felt right in light of some previous conversations that I had um, discussing schizoid being a derogatory term and whatnot. So I think I'm pretty happy with just going with podcast now and uh, and the new branding, which I really like in, in terms of minimalist, and I think it still captures the spirit of what I'm trying to do. But um, I'm really excited for today's guest. I'm pr- maybe the most excited I've been uh, since I started the podcast. I have uh, Ian Binwies joining me. Ian is a, uh, let's, let's call him a planner, earth-based medicine advocate. And uh, Ian, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Such a pleasure. Super excited for this talk. Um, this is an area that's I been an interest over the last, probably really the last like 18 months to a year or so. I've really been interested in, in sort of the, you know, this sim- seems to be an area where there's been a lot of research. It's becoming more popular in the in the zeitgeist out there. So um, definitely happy to have you on and kind of walk us through your experiences. And to start us off, I, I don't want to focus on this area too much, but you're, obviously your background is super interesting and it's fertile ground. We could probably do a several podcasts just on that alone. But uh, if you don't mind walking us through just a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and sort of how that influenced your your experiences and and what got you here today. Yeah, sure. Uh, I grew up in Hawaii, which was a beautiful place to grow up and a healing place and really saturated in nature. And I'm sure that really helped uh, lay the foundation for the future healing that I'd you know put on top of that. But <clears throat> grew up there and. Uh, then went to West Point for school and graduated from West Point and uh, then was a helicopter pilot in the Army. So I basically spent about four years doing that. The majority of that was rotating down to Panama for the precursor and then up to, you know, and then Operation Just Cause, which was really uh, reeling in Noriega, who was kind of our puppet gone a little bit uh, rogue for our liking. And uh, then I got out and uh, moved to uh, Texas, where I became a pharmaceutical rep for Pfizer, really at the peak of that industry, of the pharmaceutical industry, and saw uh, the launch of these synthetic opioids and uh, these new you know, SSRIs, these selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and all the potential promise that was going to come from all these medicines as well. And, uh, but that's also when I started my own personal work not realizing that there was a thing called trauma or that uh, I may have experienced any of that, but just I knew I needed to to work on myself and uh, I did with these plant medicines so that I could, you know, be a husband and raise a family and do the things that (laughs) regular people do. And uh, they really helped me. And then I met veterans a couple years ago, coming up on four years at a uh, normal put on this uh, cannabis, you know, themed event with veterans and they were talking about their stories, their war stories, their PTSD and medications they were on and battling addiction and traumatic brain injury and suicide and 
it was just making me cry. All these things were coming out of me. I already knew about these things, but the the uh, being there in person and connecting with these people just opened me all up. And I realized, wow, I have more work to do. And I started to then do the sort of second round, you know, my own work 2.0, my second round of healing, started to work on myself again. And at that point, I already knew these substances could help with that. And I then saw how I could, that same help that I was getting from these, I could share with other veterans. So if you don't mind elaborating a little bit in terms of just the medicines that you're speaking of, and maybe even your, your early experiences with them, like what was your background before you started this work in terms of experience with those? Sure. Well, I grew up in Hawaii where at that time, anyway, cannabis was really integrated in the culture. You hadn't really, didn't have the drug war yet in Hawaii anyway. And uh, so people used it of all different uh, ages. And I remember, you know, seeing some plants in my neighbor's backyard that were in their 60s at least. And uh, so uh, in around my high school, mushrooms grew, you know, magic mushrooms grew in the cow patties of the cows that were grazing in the fields right around our high school. And so uh, I had, you know, some limited experience there back in high school, but enough to definitely capture my attention. And, uh, you know, then coming back to these, so the substances we're talking about are, you know, magic mushrooms, LSD, MDMA, ayahuasca, DMT, which is one of the active ingredients in ayahuasca, 5-MeO-DMT, toad medicine, and found other plants. So what people would call theogens or psychedelics. And uh, yeah, so I uh, used a lot of these plants, you know, a little over 20 years ago when I was in law school, doing my next round of healing and also doing my spiritual work and then using these substances to uh, to do that. So Nice. And so you, you actually participated, you did the... Uh... A doc, there's a documentary out that you participated in that was Soldiers on the Vine. And would you would you mind elaborating a little bit about that experience and sort of the what led you there and Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Soldiers of the Vine. So basically I told you I met veterans about three years ago, started on my path, and then I started to encounter other veterans that were on their own paths, getting either, you know, started with these plant medicines or or starting back up again. And uh, a number of us had connected over time, different veterans, and uh, knew about ayahuasca. There had been a, a trip of some veterans, like in 2014, that went down there, and it was on uh, My Life with Lisa Ling. And so, you know, there's a, there's a precedent for this idea. I'd met these other veterans. One of the ones that I'd met, he went down to Peru with this shaman that we, you know, uh, cross paths with Carlos as the shaman in uh, Soldiers of Vine. And uh, Carlos invited me to come down to Peru, this is almost two years ago, May of 2016, and bring other veterans to uh, see if we could heal their you know, PTSD with these plant medicines. And uh, that was uh, how you know Soldiers of the Vine uh, happened and, and got kicked off. And uh, I can tell, talk more about, you know, how that manifested, but that's, uh, that's how it, uh, happened to start. Nice. I, I had definitely have some friends, um, that served, I guess in the second, you know, Gulf war that I think 
could probably benefit from some of this. And I've definitely been mentioning to them as, uh, as this stuff has become a lot more popular, I think. And, in the uh, like I said, in the zeitgeist, it seems I know that like my first um, entree into this world was kind of via via Joe Rogan a little bit. Um, kind of got into his podcast, and you know he's a big strong av- advocate for DMT and things like that. Um, but he's also had there's a comedian and writer who's actually the co-creator of the Chappelle Show, Neil Brennan. Guy suffers from really bad depression um he even participated in a few years ago i think the fda had tried out using ketamine uh ketamine as a as a treatment for for depression and things of that nature so that kind of that kind of piqued my interest but it's also funny you know i was telling you before the show that the this whole thing sort of coalesce around with psychedelics and and things of this nature because i got back into comic books after probably like 20 years, a couple of years ago and reading authors like Alan Moore and Grant Morrison. And these are super interesting guys in, in their own right. Very creative, obviously, but uh, their kind of discussions of, of the psychedelic world and that influence on their writing, I think is, is sort of undeniable and very interesting, but it's also something that's, I found really fascinating and kind of piqued my interest. And so I've, that's kind of the genesis of where I'm at today and in my interest in this topic. But I think even like the original, like the Jack Kirby stuff, like the old school, um, like Galactus and all the Silver Surfer, like that stuff is definitely, like there's definitely some psychedelic influence there. You know what I mean? Sure. Did you ever, did you ever read any comic books growing up? I read comic books when I was really young. And then by the time the sort of that, you know, genre for back of whatever really took off, that was for me like then you had Star Wars. I mean, you were able to start like having that on the on the big screen. So uh, I really read more into like books and sci-fi that, you know, I mean, between having the sort of Star Wars on the screen and then the Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, <laughs> the old classic sci-fi writers. But uh I've always loved those kind of formats for really just uh, exploring all these kind of possibilities. Yeah, it's super interesting. And I was even like, I think really uh, Swamp Thing in particular, the Alan Moore Swamp Thing run from the 80s is pretty pretty trippy and and heady and psychedelic. And um, there's even a famous sort of, they call it a, a love scene, and they even did this in the Swamp Thing movie, I think Heather Locklear was actually <laughs> played the love interest so in in the Swamp Thing movie, um, but in the book it's like Swamp Thing. So he's like you know he's completely an organic creature, right, or or thing, an entity, mm-hmm. and uh, so he like has this gourd that he ends up feeding to her, and it ultimately ends up. I mean, it's really like a D, like what I've heard DMT trips sort of described as. To where they feel like it's very connected. The artwork is amazing. I'll, I'll have to show it show it to you um, when we're done with the show. But super interesting. Uh, you might check that out sometime, man. Yeah. There's some pretty uh, like I said, the Grant Morrison and the uh, Alan Moore stuff is is pretty interesting. It it borders more on like the literature, and that that's sort of what because my background is like in English um, for education and stuff like that. So. 
I kind of tend towards more of that, like the really kind of weird out there shit, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. That's that's what gets me going and kind of gets the, the imagination spiraling in a totally different way, which I think is also something that I'm super interested in this topic for. Um, could, would you mind? I don't know if this is... This feels like a weird question to ask, but would you mind like telling us even what all kind of psychedelic or earth, you know, these medicines you've had experiences with? Sure, sure. So uh, <clears throat> I had lots of experiences with mushrooms where I combined them with Syrian root, kind of uh, hippie waska or farmawaska or North American ayahuasca using the MAOI from a different plant that you'd also have in the ayahuasca, but then combining it with the mushrooms because, you know, uh, when psilocybin is uh, metabolized into psilocin, it's basically four uh, hydroxy uh, dimethyltryptamine, right? It's just really a hydroxyl group different. So it's really like orally activated uh, DMT. And uh, yeah, that really helped. Uh, opened me up as far as the healing part. I didn't know how to manage what was happening, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I knew that I was opening up stuff and then, you know, slowly developed the skills and techniques to understand and integrate that stuff. And then uh, did ayahuasca, you know, back in the day, but really more of that focus has been in the past couple of years. And, uh, you know, that's six to eight hours in a ceremony with uh, other people, with people that are facilitating, leading it, using music and other techniques for healing. That's, you know, definitely can be used in a group context. And then you've got, uh, you know, mescaline, the active ingredient in peyote and San Pedro, so called Wachuma, that uh, I've taken that with Native Americans. I've taken it with, you know, uh, Weichel shamans, those, uh, they're, they're all visionary drugs and medicines and opening you up to, you know, your, your greater identity and having sort of different specific effects on how they work compared to one another. But ultimately, you know, they're all useful in ceremonial context to bring people together and uh, open people up so they can uh, do their work and uh, for the benefit as well, not just the individual, but the, the tribe and the society and the species. So how how long ago did you sort of again kind of kind of reevaluate and try to use these you know what I mean try to overcome the trauma that you experienced early you know earlier in your life like is this can you give us like a timeline on on sort of when you cuz you mentioned law school earlier yeah, is that yeah. around the time that you kind of started to dabble with this stuff Well that's when you know I'd done some in high school and then I got out of the army and then I was doing it for like three years where I was just working on myself all the time and using these medicines and then I kind of put that aside to then raise the family and then about three years ago uh, connected with veterans and started to dive back into this. Yeah so back then I'd really never processed any of the deep traumas. I had done some surface level but without even knowing hey there's a trauma here and then when I started back in almost three years ago, the first weekend doing ayahuasca is like sexual trauma, you know, right off the bat, bam. And then uh, went down to Peru, another sexual trauma, bam, working on death of my sister. So it's been car accidents, near-death experiences and flying. So I've been working through those, you know, one at a time or all together as I've gone, just kind of checking them off. And uh, 
Yeah, that's what these medicines are really good for, is to uh, allow people to take things that they've compartmentalized and blocked off in their body that they're trying to protect themselves from and reintegrate that. Can you give us a little bit more insight? Like when you say working on these traumas, like what what does that mean? And sort of like what is, is it, what's the technique? What do you, what kind of areas do you focus on? Sure, does that make sense? Sure. So like that first weekend that I worked on my first sexual or the first sexual trauma that I worked on, the first day on the medicine was just really getting accustomed to it, and uh, it was you know scrubbing me down at the cellular level. <laughs> reading all my DNA, checking everything out. And then the next day, uh, it was just kind of cracking my heart open and then putting it back together and then cracking it open and just over and over again with capacity, and, you know, getting bigger each time, kind of, kind of like the Grinch and more energy able to flow through it. And then when I kind of got to that point where I realized, okay, this, let's take this out for a ride. And I said that to, to Mother Ayahuasca. I'm like, let's take this heart that I've been working on after a ride and I immediately went to this uh, sexual trauma. It was like I was witnessing this holographic image of this episodic memory that I had and that was the mind-blowing part to me first was like I was watching this and I could sort of spin this around and I'm like is this a memory? Is this time travel? Is this a simulation? And so I had a lot of uh, empathy and focus for myself as this, you know, uh, seven or eight year old boy being sodomized by this older kid in our neighborhood in the bathroom of my own house in my, in my parents' house in Tennessee before we moved to Hawaii. And uh, after I was able to take my focus off myself and then focus on the person who's doing this because of the, where I was in this medicine and you know the state, I mean, I had this ability to have empathy and compassion for this person and not, you know, overlook what was happening but look beyond that or past that or deeper than that and say you know why are you why are you doing this you know why <laughs> not in it like again like excusing something away but what's what's going what's going on here when i had that compassion for that person then the whole episodic memory just dissolved and evaporated and that was it you know it was done so i can't say i've ever like i'm gonna go and you know, take ayahuasca and work on this trauma or here's my list of stuff. But, you know, the body knows and you kind of right. go along and it takes you on the custom program that you need based on who you are and where you're at. And yeah, you just, you know, uh, work through it. But yeah, it's not it's not programmed at all. Nice. <laughs> or that I'm aware of it. I thought. So you mentioned to a couple of phrases earlier that I want to go back to, um, especially with your experience in the pharmaceutical industry, um, like the, what is it, MAOI inhibitors, right? Yeah, MAOIs, that's uh, monoamine oxidase is a natural uh, enzyme in your body, in your stomach that breaks down DMT or other uh, tryptamines. Uh, and so in the ayahuasca vine is a MAOI inhibitor temporarily blocking that so the DMT can be orally active okay and then what what else there's the ss yeah ssris and what's that what's the difference serotonin i'm guessing so that's it? a serotonin selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor prozac zoloft those kind of medicines that block the receptor site so there's more serotonin in the synapse and now there's all different versions there's snris and you know there's a whole uh a range of stuff but 
Right. Yeah, I've definitely seen, I mean, I had heard the term just through, I guess, the Zoloft commercial. I don't even remember the one with those, like, the little drawing. It's like the black and white drawing of the <laughs> little globule, I guess. I remember that. So I was kind of curious what that sort of meant. It's kind of interesting to the overlap in terms of, I guess, the pharmacological, you know what I mean, aspect of it, too. Yeah, you know I what I mean? That, For these yeah. actual medications that people are, are being prescribed to. And then these natural plant-based medicines that have been, I guess, for the most part, have been around for, you know, thousands and thousands of years. Exactly. And, and these are natural SSRIs, if you want to call them that. That's, after ayahuasca, you have a natural afterglow because some of that MAOI is keeping a little bit more serotonin, you know, available <laughs> for you, right? Because So there are... Uh, what are called irreversible, which means, you know, that takes you time to rebuild that, uh, you know, neurotransmitter back up. But MAOIs that have been given in the past as medicines, you know, where they're basically completely blocking that to maximize that amount of serotonin. Those are like some of the earlier uh, generation ones. These now are supposed to be more selective, you know, but... <laughs> That still doesn't make them uh, work. What they're really doing is compressing down your signal. So you don't have the low end, which is where you're really depressed, but then you don't, also don't have the high end, and then you lose empathy. They've been shown to kill empathy. So you're, you've got this huge shock absorber. You've got this you know, compression algorithm where the sound is really, <laughs> yeah, there's just no dynamic range. you know. So the bass doesn't kill you, but you don't get the high end. <laughs> right. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, but so these medicines, I think, at least in, from what I've heard, um, and it sounds like from your experience too, I mean, these things, this is a way to, in many regards, open up your empathy for others and feel more connected with with nature and with other beings and, and with the universe at large, right? Yeah, and it's been shown, right, that the opposite of connection is addiction. If you don't have that connection, you're going to self-medicate using compulsive behaviors with sort of whatever medicine's available, you know, whether it's smartphone, pornography, internet gambling, whatever it is, it, you know. And then it's a question of, well, are you using the best medicines and giving yourself the best foods to feed yourself, or are you feeding yourself the crap? <laughs> right. I have this weird theory that I've just sort of come up with, and it's kind of based on, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. There's a Slovenian kind of a psychoanalyst, Marxist guy, uh, Slavoj Žižek. No, not yet. Well, um, <laughs> he's got this film that's called uh, Pervert's Guide to Cinema. Okay. And I don't know if you... Do you remember the like the 1980s film by John Carpenter, They Live? Yes. I've not seen the whole thing, but at least <laughs> seen clips from it, yeah. Right. So it's been, the premise was... So he... I, for, I think it's Roddy... Yeah. Rowdy Roddy Piper is the star of the film, right? Oh, that, that's the one where I did see that whole movie, right? That's the one where he puts on the glasses and he can see all the, uh, you know, the meta, the meta, you know, programming behind the uh, exactly. advertisements. That's right, yeah. Exactly, and I wonder to, to <laughs> like, I wonder to what extent this, like, these types of medicines, I mean, even cannabis are sort of tools for removing yourself from that from like that sense, that ideology or that these messages that we're all sort of immersed in, right? We're like fish. We It's hard really for a fish to see the the water that they're swimming in. You know yeah. what I mean? And culture is totally wants to reinforce the ego, right? That's who it's selling to. So 
culture is telling the ego, oh, you're completely separate. You know, you're a consumer. You got to be happy, do this stuff. And so that's what its incentive is to do. Whereas these other medicines, their incentive is to say, no, you're connected to this whole thing. So stop, stop crapping in your nest. (laughs) (laughs) And don't crash this big ship. Because we do have our hand on the controls. We really do. So. So Ian, tell us what, so you've also done some political activism as well related to these topics. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's really around cannabis first because I think that's going to be the natural plant medicine that's going to open up the doors. The, the well. gateway drug, if yeah, you will. The, 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 and it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> to borrow their own metaphor, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, cannabis. Uh, I've been a, a plant medicine advocate for over 20 years, but really cannabis specifically in the past, you know, five or six years where it's finally had states that it's, you know, medical and legal then that we can actually use as a tool to then push for uh, legalization and, and reform in other states. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, what is it? 29 states now have uh, some form of medical program. Eight or nine states uh, have uh, legalization. The challenge now is you're running into the states that don't have ballot initiative, like a Texas, where the people want it. <laughs> Everybody wants it except the politicians. And uh, so we don't we don't have that luxury. But basically what's happening is the states are individually flipping with the opiate crisis at a national level. This federal scheduling with the Controlled Substance Act is running against up in you know, the, the drug war of, in the opiate crisis. And it's all it's all coming to a head. And uh, so you've got MDMA and it's phase three clinical trials. It can be an FDA approved drug by 2020. So all these things are coming together right now. Society knows that these medicines can help. They're seeing the benefits in the states where it's where it's available, and uh, yeah, it's just trying to spread the message, get the information out to enough people, and then affect the political process to to make these things free. So, are are you involved in any groups that we could go we could go maybe look up on the internet and and maybe get involved with if there's somebody out there that's interested in in pursuing this route? Well, sure. I mean, uh, Veterans for Natural Rights is an organization that I'm part of, along with uh, Matt Kale and Jeremiah Looney. Uh, Matt went to Peru and was part of Soldiers of the Vine. And uh, Veterans for Natural Rights is specifically trying to get more veterans into public office so that there's less likelihood that the military is being used as a political and economic tool, you know, uh, by by the government. And because uh, that's really what's been happening. And so uh, we're also then trying to get this healing for these plant medicines to veterans because it's necessary to reintegrate them into society. And it's also the fastest way for these medicines to gain the cultural approval because veterans, you know, are respected. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So veterans then become these exemplars to, to prove this out. So that's really where the sort of veteran and this plant medicine advocacy all come together is veterans are getting reintegrated back in society using these medicines and each other to help do that. Then we can show the rest of society that these medicines are useful to help the trauma that everybody has and to help deal with the pain that people have. Cause it's crazy that they're illegal. <laughs> right. 
um, I forget who it was that was sort of, it actually might be like, I, I don't like the guy all that much, but <laughs> Sam Harris, um, who's also kind of a, he's like one of the new atheist podcasters, but he's also, you know, he's kind of very articulately stated that, you know, it's like, if you can't even control, like what is more fundamental in terms of being able to control your own, like mental states, you know what I mean? If you don't even have that freedom, then, yeah, you know, do you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you have right. no cognitive liberty. That's what Terrence McKenna said. If you know, if you can't ha- own and master your own consciousness, you know the Declaration of Independence isn't worth the hemp papers it was written. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. And I, I wonder too. Like, is is this sort of a is this a functional aspect of of the culture at large trying to suppress these? You know what I mean? Because I I stated my hypothesis that this sort of cuts through a lot of ideology and, you know, maybe not necessarily like a a total cure for, for that, but definitely kind of removing that sort of veil of culture back just enough for you to peek over the edge and see sort of how arbitrary a lot of this stuff can be. Right. Yeah. I think the ego is very afraid of that and that's why it, uh, it knows and it's resisting. And then the culture is wanting to reinforce the ego. I mean, if, Depression is going to be the number one killer by 2020 at current rates. You know, we've got a problem of not looking inside of ourselves and <laughs> understanding why we're not happy. And especially right. if we're living with all this abundance and we consume 20% of the world's drugs, whether those are pharmaceutical or, or otherwise. So, But we're still not happy. Right. And we're also, you know, consuming resources and, you know, there's... All- you know the whole consumerist angle to it too to fill that sort of that same that need inside of us for for whatever you know yeah for connection right and so uh and it will be sold and marketed to in the most uh efficient way possible even including connection through all the social media stuff which we're seeing has a dark side or a cost to it as well so right i i was I was a lot more optimistic. It's funny, like looking back when I was in grad school, I kind of had picked up on it. So I studied new media in, in particular and had a sort of a hypothesis. Oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be the democratization of information and it's going to flatten out these hierarchies of power. And uh, yeah, definitely <laughs> turned out the total opposite um, for what I thought. And well, it was, like, it was that kind of, it's the George Orwell, right? Uh you know, uh, versus Aldous Huxley. George Orwell is kind of more worried about the whole, you know, fascist surveillance state. And Huxley's like, I think it's more that people will be born. Willingly. Yeah, control. they'll be willingly. They'll be watching American Ninja Warriors willingly and, you know, disconnect from whatever the bigger issues of the day. And I think that's what's yeah. sort of seemed to, we've gone, gone more that way. You know, we're, we're, we're sort of handing them we're, we're the, the pipe and the means to, uh, you know, control us and, and uh, troll us with fake news. <laughs> I'm sort of a, you know, I like to speak out against capitalism a lot on this show. I'm I'm a pretty left-leaning guy. I don't know exactly what, you know, I'm not, I haven't come to grips with exactly what that means, like in terms of concrete actions or, you know what I mean, what the next step is. But it feels like the, all of this, you know, the things that we're being sort of fed are the evolution of, of capitalism and our society has sort of disconnected us more than anything, right? It's, it's destroyed. You know what I mean? You always hear about the conservatives complaining about the, de- the destruction of the nuclear family. Well, 
I mean, you know, there's one viewpoint that maybe the nuclear family is a is a hoax, you know what I mean? Or like maybe that's not the best way to organize our society. But I think also, even if you're accepting that, it's like the society, the technology, the work, the way that we, our relationship to production are all putting these pressures on us and it's destroying community in many respects. Yeah, well, I remember even as a kid, I could look at capitalism and go, okay, capitalism without a moral framework or a moral container is a virus that's going to kill itself. So uh, it's useful as an engine, right, to try to, uh, uh, well, because it, it drives behavior. But yeah, we haven't figured out how to morally contain that. We're still trying to sort that out in this country. How do you... You know, and everyone says, well, if you have free trade, but we never get free trade. We always get politically protected and modified and controlled trade. So uh, we're going to have to figure this out because if the robots are going to be doing all the work, you know, how are people going to uh, live? And how are people going to buy the corporation stuff is ultimately what it comes down to. That was my thing. When I was younger, I was like, if I'm one of these big companies, I want to get customers all around the world, right? That's how I make money but that takes an investment in infrastructure and uh i guess they're more for the short term i don't know i would say even though even to like point out something like okay so you know you're on the bus or whatever and everybody's got their earbuds in for example like that's obviously that's putting up a barrier between communication and i think there's a lot of subtle little details like that or elements of our culture that are kind of siloing us and atomizing us and, you know, disconnecting us from the world at large and from other human, you know, from our humanity and other humans in a sense. And, you know, maybe that's why we have this, <laughs> this addiction ec- epidemic with opioids and whatnot. Not only that, but I think just the, you know what I mean? There's, it's a, it's obviously a symptom of something, something else, like a spiritual yearning or, or need that's not being filled by by consumption, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what your work is definitely absolutely like leaning in that direction in terms of attacking it. Well, yeah, ultimately it's information. Pain is information. And I'm not trying to knock chronic pain or, you know, from a injury, right? That's, you you know why you're getting that information. But other than that, you know, it's useful information. And our whole medical system today is, hey, doctor, my body's giving me information, some kind of itch, throbs, you know, whatever it is, can you give me some pill that'll turn that off so I can ignore it for longer? I mean, and so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we're taking all these opiates not just because we have back pain or whatever, and sure we do, but, you know, there's a bigger problem and it goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah, what's, what's all the pain? And I can at least say from the military perspective, Trauma is trauma, and the biggest correlator for getting PTSD in war, if you kind of think of it like an infectious disease that you contract and your susceptibility to it, is childhood trauma. It's just unresolved childhood trauma. So when I look at the you know more country as a whole or just humanity as a whole, yeah, we're all we're all traumatized, and a lot of us on top of that, just the general trauma, specific childhood trauma, and you have to go back and process that to be in a position to maximize your potential self-actualize when we first met last week uh, for lunch you you said something that i thought was pretty interesting you were talking about sort of 
the different experiences that these uh, the medicines give you, and you're like, ayahuasca is like this, and DMT <laughs> is like this. Could you sure. do you do you remember what, yeah, what I'm well, talking about? I thought this was a pretty pretty clever little anecdote just to kind of describe the different experiences. Yeah, well, like I guess to compare, right, smoking or vaporizing DMT to compare and taking it in the ayahuasca brew. Uh, smoking it is like, you know, getting shot out of a cannon <laughs> and uh, you're going very fast and very high and it's very scary and it's very intense and things are happening very quickly. And, but then, you know, it's, it's, it's that intensity and all that information is just mind blowingly overwhelming and awesome because, you know, you don't have so much time to get too scared because it's just all happening so fast. Whereas uh, taking it with a shaman in the ceremony is kind of like cruising down a river in a canoe and the shaman <laughs> singing to you and pointing out stuff on the sides of the banks. And if you run into trouble, you know, the, the shaman can sing to you and put the, their hand on your shoulder. But uh, yeah, and then the, the 5-MeO-DMT in the toad is like uh, you get shot on the cosmic rocket and you're on the outside of it holding on to the top <laughs> trying to either let go or hold on until you have to let go and eventually uh you uh you have to but uh <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the 5 meo dmt because i think this is just this is super interesting i think this is something that's definitely like it's been in the popular culture for a while i think actually my first the first time i ever heard mention of you know, it's like the popular notion is like they call it the you know licking toads, or right. It's funny. I heard this on like a Rush Limbaugh, something <laughs> Rush Limbaugh said like way back in the day. He was like at some point in the early '90s, kind of describing like, oh, there's this you know, there Rush was like, oh, there's this hippie. They just start. I there's a toad. I'm gonna pick it up and and I'll lick it, right? But obviously, that's that's not exactly how this stuff works. No. Um, so there's a specific species of frog. What is it? Bufo afarensis? It's uh, Bufo alvarius, now alvarius. called uh, Encilius alvarius, the Sonoran desert toad. And uh, yeah, it's the 5-MeO-DMT is contained in lots of plants and in the human body and in uh, animals. But uh, it's only contained that we're aware of in one animal, which is this uh, toad, which only lives in the Sonoran desert, which is in Mexico and a little bit of uh, southern Arizona. And so the toads, as a sort of defense mechanism, excrete this substance, right? So, like, I grew up in Hawaii. We had the bufo there, the same one that's in uh, Australia that's taken over the cane toad. And they all have glands that have these bufotoxins, of which the default one is uh, bufotenine, which is what, like five? Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> 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 I'm going to catch myself there, but it's uh, very similar to serotonin and 5-MeO. I think, yeah, it takes off the, just as a hydroxyl group on it. And that, um, when a dog or another animal would eat it, uh, is like can cause, you know, temporary issues where, you know, kind of like uh, riot gas or something where it's going to incapacitate the animal. Uh, but this one particular toad uh, makes the 5-MeO-DMT, which is, you know, active if you vaporize it and it's also a neurotransmitter like i said in the human body and other animals and would is it right is it correct to say that this 5 meo dmt is probably the strongest psychedelic drug that we know of at this Abs point absolutely absolutely it's, uh, michael pollan said he's recently here in austin talking about his new book within that book he 
took five MEO DMT and friend was telling him before he's going to do it. It's like, Michael, you know, this is the Mount Everest. <laughs> so yeah, because then the other medicines, um, like DMT, there's it's super powerful, but there's sensory information that you're aware of. Whereas in the five MEO, the sensory information, including the ego is completely turned off and down regulated. So kind of with the DMT, there's something at least to look at. Anchor you in your yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, but with with this, it's just uh, you know cosmic energy. You're you're beyond the sort of sensory stuff, and uh, because of that, that can be even potentially more, you know, disconcerting initially. <laughs> <laughs> what about okay? So for the other variant of not the five meo, but the, just the standard DMT. What yeah. is what's the source? I know it it's available in lots of different plants. Um, yeah. Like the acacia tree? Yeah, exactly. The acacia tree that's uh, mentioned in the Bible 50 times that the Ark of the Covenant is made out of. That's probably the burning bush. (laughs) Right. Uh, So acacia and mimosa, another uh, species. And uh, yeah, it's uh, in all mammals and and basically uh, comes from the shakruna plant, which is an ayahuasca brew or mimosa hostilis, uh, another source of it. So you can, you know extracted from these leaves and roots and then it's either vaporized or snuffed or drank in a brew i want to talk a little bit about the the sort of sensory experience or you know even the i guess the spiritual as well because okay so there's the book by was it rick strassman the spirit molecule it's like dmt the spirit molecule and so what the theory and i've not read the book but if if I understand correctly. So the theory is that DMT is released at the time of death or right around the time of death. So you experience sort of this, I guess like for lack of a better term, like a trip when you're going to die. And maybe this is tied to near death experiences. Yeah, I think totally. So uh, this is all speculation at this point, right? right? It's just it's, it's the sort of you know one theory, and, and Dave Nichols says that you know the pineal gland doesn't produce enough uh, to give you this kind of trip endogenously. But DMT is also made in the lungs, so we're just trying to figure all this out. But it is very interesting. That's you know the most accepted idea. It resonates with me. What's really interesting is that when the when you have brain death, right, the brain can go about eight to ten minutes maybe on no oxygen. One of the things that DMT and 5-MeO-DMT do beyond whatever this part of they're doing that could be helping you have your experience to transition to this spiritual plane is uh, protect the brain and keep it functioning in a low oxygen situation. So it is very interesting that, you know, it's going to do that for another maybe 10 minutes. So you can have this 15 to 20 minute period, which is actually the standard length of the smoked vaporized DMT or 5-MeO-DMT experience is about the same length. Right. If you know, if you got shot and your brain is still <laughs> going, and the oxygen can get you going for about another twenty minutes because of the extra antioxidant and the oxygen enriching capabilities of the DMT and the five MEO, also while you're dying. <laughs> so. But you know, well, I guess we'll have for 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 me and you, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> right. <laughs> Somebody. No, nobody reports back. back exactly. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> at least not yet. We can't. We can't tune in that frequency yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, w- let's talk a little bit about maybe, I don't know, what's the term, like ego death? Like, is is that something maybe like 
is DMT a path to that? Or is is the five, it sounds like maybe five MEO is more so, but maybe, I don't know. Situ- yeah, no, they're, they're situate both, me. They're both paths to that. And uh, I wrote an article in my blog about the medicine chakras and uh, saw other people have written the same thing. James Oreck in his latest book about psychedelics talking about DMT being at the sixth chakra, the pineal gland chakra, and then 5-MeO being at the crown chakra. And so at the um, sixth chakra, DMT, it's still mythical. You're still putting it all together in the context of the story. There's still ego down reduction, but it's in the duality of, oh, here's how I fit into this whole thing. At the 5-MeO level, it's just cosmic energy. So there's no, you're, you're you're beyond duality. And so that's where... That medicine regulates, down-regulates the ego more than anything because once that ego is down-regulated, it's just a matter of, oh, my true identity is everything. It's source. It's <laughs> where the, the DMT is uh, still putting it in a story framework with the mythical information where you're still, your ego's still there, but, you know, you're not totally gone. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it is hard to try to... Verbalize, you know, right? Ineffable experience, but I, but I, I love to, and I have fun with it, you know. And I don't, I, it's, uh, I'm not caught in the trap of trying to capture the stuff in words, but more trying to want to use words, so so we can have a common right. way to try to bring these things back. So, you, in our earlier conversations, you you mentioned sort of popping the chakras. <laughs> what what is that? What does that mean? Or can you can you open it? And like. What yeah, does that mean? Exactly? Sure. Well, I think just that, uh, especially with this 5-MeO medicine, because it's taken, you know, vaporized and it's very short acting. Uh, it's kind of, we were talking about before the, the, before the show, you know, the Kundalini thing where you're basically opening up these chakras, which are just the different energy centers in your body, starting at the base, going to the top, to that crown chakra. So I've taken ayahuasca where, you know, I dealt with some fear of death at my base chakra. I, de- de- I dealt with some uh, guilt at my, you know, second my, my sacral chakra. I dealt, dealt with some shame at my fire chakra, my stomach chakra. I dealt with grief at my heart chakra. I dealt with lies at my throat chakra. And then, you know, and then it's the illusion and then uh, cosmic energy. So you can be processing some of these, all of them, what the 5-MeO the medicine can really do. Whether those are blocked or not is potentially open up everything all at one time, you know. And uh, once you've opened those up, then it makes it easier to, even if they have to close back up because, you, you know, the blockage is just temporarily opened up. The fact that it's been opened up gives you the chance to more easily go back and, you know, reopen them. <laughs> Do you meditate on a regular basis? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I learned how to do meditation uh, a while back and you know, worked, did that in, like in a group, like, you know, for uh, a couple of years and have a daily spiritual practice and then I do yoga. So, yeah, just the whole mindfulness, totally. Mindfulness, the other plant medicine techniques, they are all complementary, cumulative. One can initiate or precipitate the other and, and vice versa. I've read some accounts of people that taking DMT and they they reference encountering any like I don't know for beings perhaps have you ever encountered any like anything like that in any of these experiences? 
Well, I do know that when I was taking all this stuff to start, I was like, where are my aliens, you know, <laughs> right? And, right. And fantastical, you know, alien empires and UFOs <laughs> and alien Disneyland. So I had that cultural programming even right. going in. And, uh, but I've, I can't, I, I haven't really, other than the first time I smoked DMT, it was in Mexico at the Botanical Preservation Corps down in Palenque. And uh, this guy was going around Johnny Appleseed and sharing with people. And, and I, I totally broke through. I did the Terrence McKenna, you know, three tote, 50 milligrams. By the third one, I wasn't even smoking anymore. I was just like eating, you know, <laughs> kaleidoscopic, you know, right. clouds. And uh, But I, I, I broke through. I went to some place and I was with these four other beings that we were in close communion or proximity no one was you know uh doing any kind of alien abduction on the other or anything but <laughs> but it's sort of like almost that zoo sort of thing where you're like but you know you're not you're not interacting with each other and uh yeah i came back and i was like what the you know what the hell is that and then <laughs> years later i was playing around with my kids in the backyard and the trampoline and i had them all on top of me and i was like oh wow that's what it is <laughs> like, i encountered them in some kind of you know alternate dimension before they were manifested here as souls but that's been about as far as my uh seeing you know wild stuff but i've talked to lots of other people and had uh crazy stories with elves and gnomes and, <laughs> you know, and i'm like hey, why do i get that stuff but, <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so i uh, i had mentioned this there's a comic the comic book author grant morrison earlier um he talks about having been abducted by aliens in Kathmandu before i don't know if he's like i don't know how literal he's exactly being but it definitely you know it revolves around a dmt experience that he had there which is pretty wild you know i think that uh i've had the the dmt scrub from ayahuasca and you can experience that as you mother earth aliens from another planet i mean it's all to me metaphorical ultimately it's not meant to be taken literally it's you have to experience it in some way that has meaning to you that you can process so <laughs> I think, you know, that those things are generated in some way out of your own subjective experience that you go like, oh, right. yeah, that symbol makes perfect sense to me. That explains everything. Like some archetypal content, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting, too. You mentioned, like, Mother Earth. Um, I have a, a friend of mine that's actually been on the podcast that he is his, uh, he's working on his first feature film right now. He's doing, he's in the editing process and it's called earth mother mm. it was all done here in austin um kind of has a little bit kind of touches on a little bit of, of the topics we've discussed a little bit today um don't know when it's released but i would he's a really super interesting guy you should go back and check check it, that yeah. one out yeah uh def i'll keep you in the loop whenever that's released but i don't know it's kind of an interesting cross you know topic there But uh, let's see, do you have any speaking events or anything that you're working on in terms of, you know, in terms of organization or events coming up in the next, you know, what, what's going on with you in terms? I'm talking tomorrow, but probably by the time this uh, Yeah, right. <laughs> drops. I'll have it up tonight, but I okay. doubt anybody will listen. Yeah. <laughs> enough people, at least. Well, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to be talking at the Hemp and Garden Show. It's like an off South by event we had uh, last year. And I think maybe the year before, I want to say, where I'm going to be on a veterans panel. So okay. myself and other veterans just talking about, 
how cannabis helps veterans and sharing the story of veterans, you know, coming back from war and trying to, to reintegrate. But, uh, yeah, where am I? I'm, not, <laughs> um, I'm hoping to go to um, a showing of another movie that I'm helping out with called From Shock to Awe. Matt Kale and other veterans I know are in it, continuing these whole, you know, stories of veterans and their personal transformation. They were trying to get in some different film festivals, so hope we might go there and, you know, be in a panel with those guys whenever that's going to happen. But uh, nothing immediately scheduled right now. But it's really, you know, this for us, like in Texas anyway, this is an off year uh, legislation-wise. 2019, we're back in session, so like we won't do anything really for that yeah, until, uh, you know, uh, Veterans Day later in the year. But What about, do you, ha do you ha plan on doing any going on any uh, experiences anytime soon with with medicine medicine wise or yeah definitely a lot of that that's always uh <laughs> like how how regular is do you kind of delve into that world personally if you don't if, yeah if no it's okay totally with legit. answering i think i drank ayahuasca about 41 times in the two and a half year period that's <laughs> still clicking over nicely it's more you know taking continuing to do my work taking other people, veterans or otherwise, to, to do their work. And uh, that's really what I've been, you know, continuing to do. Uh, different kinds of medicine, different, you know, places and locations. And so, uh, yeah, it's, and there's nothing more rewarding, powerful to witness than the transformation of other human beings uh, that you're, you know, that you're connected to. But you don't have an attachment to their, you know, to ego attachment to what, they're supposed to be doing as it were, but right. just that you're there because it has like a species level survival thing to it too, where you just like, you know what I mean? The people <laughs> in the herd are getting healed and it makes you like feel good feel on good, a yeah. really deep level besides that personal level. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely what keeps me going. <laughs> you just brought to mind, actually, I was, uh, I was talking to some people the other night about, and I was really excited about doing this podcast with you today and, uh, someone kind of unexpectedly was like, yeah, man, I've been, I've been microdosing LSD <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. I was like, I don't even, I don't even smoke weed anymore. I just, I'm loving the microdosing. Yeah. That's the, the latest and the greatest, right? I mean, uh, that's the, using those medicines in that way is the, it is the SSRIs that these companies are trying to develop to try to give someone a little bit of an energy lift, you know, and, uh, Obviously, it depends on how much you do it at the micro levels, but a little bit of an energy lift, a little bit of a focus, maybe a little bit of empathy, heart opening, but nothing to the you know, perceptual range where oh, right. I can't do my job or <laughs> I can't you know, drive down the, the road. But uh, yeah, that's what these things used in that way really can do. And when you're microdosing, you can't take these every day without developing a tolerance. And so they can have the legitimate ability where the other ones are just they're crushing down the signal. This is actually opening it back up. And then when you're having to open it back up and then you act with more empathy and you practice with it, then it's like yoga. You hold more of it in you. You have more of it in your practice. And then it becomes a tool that helps you expand that rather than I'd fall into, you know, then, then uh, your shock absorbers or your bumpers, whatever, you know, you, you don't get hurt, but you don't develop any capacity. You mentioned hurt and I want to, 
also, you know, feel like it'd be a little bit irresponsible to say that, you know, there there is a certain amount of danger with these substances, right? As well. You know what I mean? It's not just all It's not all trippy butter- butterflies fun and, and unicorns, right? no. No, these are serious, serious things that uh you have to have the integrity to be able to take them, and that's the emotional, you know, mental, spiritual integrity to be able to have a platform, which is your body, that you can, you know, do the remodel and not tear your place apart and have it be condemned. And that means that you have to have the support system of other people that are going to help you through that, your own spiritual practice, your own spiritual philosophy, outlook, whatever that is, way of life, to really have a good chance to make the things that you got from your experiences stick and be able to be integrated in your daily life. Yeah, because even just the actual participating with the drugs like themselves, I think five the 5-MeO-DMT five has claimed, you know, there's been deaths from people drowning in their own vomit and in crazy situations like that. So definitely not something you just want to be out doing by yourself without any kind of supervision at all. No, definitely not. And that medicine, it, you can uh, die of a, you can have a heart attack. You can be scared to death. That is entirely possible. So someone who has a bad heart is uh, not a candidate for it. And so people, if they're, uh, you know, um, schizophrenic or have serious mental health issues, these things aren't a, aren't a fit. But it is important to have that support system of somebody to be able to talk to and say, man, I just had this experience and now I feel like I'm totally nuts. Is, you know, is that normal? And the other person <laughs> be like, yeah, it's totally normal that you feel nuts and, you know, here's what you can do. And so which isn't any different than somebody going to A and having a sponsor, you know, having somebody that you can uh, talk to. And I'm, I'm you know, doing that especially with veterans because veterans need a certain technical skill set which is you're also a veteran so you know what they're right, talking yeah. about just to be able for them can to contextualize things yeah, for them yeah do, do they just can check that box and like well this guy knows what I'm talking about this guy can trust them yeah there's tr- level of trust too okay so but yeah but other than the sort of uh irresponsible or you know and obviously these things can't be combined ayahuasca or or you know or or 5-MeO DMT with uh other kind of psych meds or uh, you know, certain painkillers, you know, certain opiate uh, painkillers. But uh, other than that, they're totally safe if used correctly because they're natural substances. So the body both quickly receives them, but then also metabolizes them. So they're not staying around, uh, you know, beyond their welcome. So, uh, some of the listeners may be aware, but there's okay. There's a program that I've been a big fan of um, on the Viceland Network, and it's Hamilton's Pharmacopia. And I I, I did do a little bit of uh, Facebook snooping, and I, I saw that you had a picture with Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, just to I guess ground the listeners. So it's I forget what his last name is. Morris. Yeah. Hamilton Morris. Okay, yeah. so he has a program on Viceland, the actual network. I'm sure you can find it on, on YouTube or what have you as well. But So he goes around, he travels the world and does all of these substances, including the 5-MeO-DMT in Mexico, which I think is definitely worth checking out. That was super interesting. 
how how did you go about meeting? How did you meet up with Hamilton? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, I was at the uh, Maps conference last spring in April in Oakland, and it was amazing. It was just like psychedelics going mainstream. The guy that had shared DMT with me in Mexico twenty years before, I saw him there. You know? <laughs> Stan Stan Grof. I'd read his books, but I'd never you know met him in person, heard him in person, and listened to him. And uh, yeah, so Hamilton was there. Trademark <laughs> white white outfit, and uh, you know, just asked him to uh, to take a picture. And as a matter of fact, one of his episodes where he uh, you know talks to uh, Casey William Hardison. Uh, Casey went down with us to Peru. He was one of the cameramen. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I love his show. He's the kind of thing where like there's a little bit of that. I wish I was that guy. Like, <laughs> right. Getting paid to do this. When I was a kid, I was like, I wanted to be Marlon Perkins from, you know, uh, wild kingdom. <laughs> gotcha. Now it's a little bit like, uh, uh, Hamilton Morris. <laughs> gotcha. You know, it's funny too. Uh, are you familiar with Paul Steinmetz? Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. He was on Rogan, uh, several months ago and he told this pretty funny story. He like, he ate something, he was out in the woods and he ate something like 25 grams of shrooms and climbed a tree in the middle of a thunderstorm. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> what an experience that must have been. Yeah, he was at uh, those Botanical Preservation Corps events like with Terrence McKenna and, you know, the the early Psychedelic Godfathers back in the day and yeah, he, he really puts things in perspective that, hey, everybody, the fungi were here first. They're the internet of the soil, right? They control everything. They can control the amount of sugar going to trees, water, and uh, yeah, they have uh, definitely something to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, is there anything you would, I, I sort of, I'm at an, in an end here. Um, yeah. Is there any final thoughts you want to share with us before we uh, before we wrap up? Hmm. Final thoughts. Well, um, I'll, I'll throw out some final thoughts. You know, I don't know what our species role is here, if we're supposed to leave the planet or not, but I can see as we're developing these technologies of virtual reality and video games and that we're going to have to... that. We're looking at all these newer versions of altered consciousness, you know, but if we have any hope of mastering these newer technologies and having any control over AI, we're going to have to master these archaic techniques of technology, these, these plants, which people have been using for thousands of years to navigate these states in a continuous living tradition. So if we're going to go in the holodeck and we're going to you know, uh, go to other planets, we're going to have to, the foundation for that, the cornerstone for that's going to have to be these plant medicines. So, so do your homework, people. <laughs> Mother Earth's got a whole c curriculum available <laughs> for, for self-study. <laughs> nice. Well, Ian, thanks again for, for coming on and going on this trip with me. Uh, I think it was pretty awesome. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing some feedback on, on this episode. So I was really excited to have you on. Yeah, man, really thanks for having me, brother. Anytime. Well, th this is Cooper Cherry with Podcast signing off. <laughs>